All right, y'all pay good money for this at 6.30. Let's get started. Um, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The very popular verse on this topic. I'll start. Are, are we on? Yeah, I think, I think that's kind of good. That's okay. I, okay, good, yeah. I'll, I'll start us out with a prayer. 1 Corinthians 14. Father, we thank you so much for this special time to come together, to be nourished by your word, but also be to, to be nourished by the encouragement of our fellowship together. We acknowledge your presence here with us tonight, and we, we pray that you will do what you did for your disciples. I, I love the way it's described in Luke 24, where it says... He might understand the scriptures. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that, that you would be very active, Holy Spirit, with us tonight. In our understanding, we're looking at a passage that we have been looking at for decades and still struggling and wrestling over it. But we continue to seek your will. We pray that you would guide us. And we thank you for the promise in the book of James to give us wisdom. You ask us to ask you for wisdom and you promise to give it to us in generous portion. So we pray tonight for that wisdom that we may truly follow you and your will in our lives individually, in our families, and in the life of this church body that we can be a light in the world. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I would say that throughout the ages... I, I, I was driving up here and I was actually wondering how many times have you heard this passage taught? How many times in churches have you talked about this topic and it was solved? But we keep coming back to it. This has been a controversial topic. I, I thought probably only with the exception of the planet Venus. Um, the role of women has been a controversial issue. There, I don't think it is. I think there, women rule, don't they? Isn't that the, the tradition on Venus? Women are from Venus, men are from Mars. And, and whether it's intended or not, <clears throat> women have often been treated like or made to feel like they're second-class citizens. I was listening to the radio tonight and there was a debate about schools in, in, the, in the state of Maine and should public fun, government funding go to support religious schools and one of the reasons that uh, public funding shouldn't go to support religious schools is one of them is because they treat religions treat Christ, uh, women as second class citizens and whether that's true or not or there, there's a perception there's a, there's a feeling and some, some women actually feel that way there's um, there's clearly been in our, in our society, and we've talked about this, these are just a few introductory remarks to get us started, there has been gender discrimination. And I, I, in, in our nation, truly, the fact that women weren't allowed to vote, is, it blows the mind. I as a man though, and I'll admit, uh, um, part of me goes, what? I don't see it. 
And especially in the church, I'll say, I think everything's fine. But I have women that share with me, no, Eddie, it's still a big part of the church life. I have other women that share it with me, no, that's nonsense, it's not. And so it's a challenge because we care about how people feel. I had a woman share with me that she feels enslaved in the sense that she is restricted and bound from being the person that God has called her to be in the church. <clears throat> I'm not saying all women feel that way, obviously, but those are, those are comments that come my way. There are people who, and we've talked about this before, this is a very controversial topic, there are people who leave churches, they have left this church because we do too much with women. There are people who leave churches because we don't do enough. I received an email from a family today who is leaving Eastside because we're not moving forward enough with the role of women in the church. Um, that's one of the reasons we're having this class, to talk about this because we care about those people. But this is, this is not just a random thing. This is very real. This is very painful. This is a, it's very important. It's very biblical to talk about. But boy, it wears me out. It hurts me. Um, to see the, the turmoil and the hurt that people feel so much that they would pull away from a church family. Very real. And I don't mean to discourage you, but it's a, uh, it's a reality. You know that if you've been a part of church life, you've, you've seen people leave over, over various things. This is one of the top five, I would say, uh, in, in the churches. I, I can only imagine this must grieve God's heart. If it grieves mine, I can only imagine it must grieve his heart. And so our question is, what is God's heart? What is it? And I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus is such a, a beautiful reflection of God's heart. And, and counter to the blatant gender discrimination and degrading and condescending way that women were treated, Jesus shows the heart of God at elevating them and valuing them and and, and showing their worth in, in so many ways. And so certainly we at Eastside want to affirm that heart of Christ here in the unique role of women and men. And, and we want everyone to be able to use their gifts. But while stating that that's the heart of God, what we're going to look at tonight, this is one of the main passages it's almost like, well, if God has that heart, then what's this passage here in 1 Corinthians 14? It seems like it's counter to that, that God is in, it's in violation of the very heart of God. Perhaps these are just the words of Paul, not the words of God, but I believe they are the words of God. And so we are going to be looking at tonight the, the, one of the main go-to passages that has been the restrictive passage on keeping women within certain boundaries in our church assemblies. And then after we finish this one, we'll look at this, a second one in 1 Timothy 2. Prior to that, though, as you should be aware of if you've been in this class, is that we first looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because I really believe this passage, at least for me, makes a very strong and clear point, which I think really helps set the stage in understanding these other two passages. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but for the sake of review, I'll mention what we learned there, that Paul was addressing a problem in Corinth. We're going to stay in Corinth in chapter 14 still as we move on tonight. The problem was regarding women that were praying and prophesying in the church. They were speaking 
in the church. Now that's a question, so I believe it was the assembly. Some will say it wasn't. And what, what we notice there, and this is very clear, you can't miss this. He doesn't tell them to stop their speaking, stop their praying, stop their prophesying. He says, if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. You need to do it in a manner that is appropriate. And that manner that is appropriate is, in their culture, it was a head covering, which was a symbolic expression that showed a submissive respect and regard to their relational position. Remember, we looked at that order there to others who were present. And so, it's a pretty strong passage. And we, we, we um, can't miss that. Women were praying with others. Women were speaking messages of God in the presence of men and women. But they were called to do it in a manner that was appropriate, that showed the respect of the distinction and roles of men and women as established by God and by the culture. So that is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's what we looked at. Now, as, as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and as we go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think it would be helpful... I think it's, it, it would be good, first of all, to be reminded of what I would consider to be an extremely simple um, process of biblical interpretation, hermeneutics, you might say. But it's so simple, but it's so overlooked or, um, or forgotten principle. And it's basically the principle of interpreting a, a passage in this larger context. So, so, so I think this study of women's role, any of these studies, one of the things we really, really have to talk about is, is how do you read the Bible and how do you interpret it and how do you relate it to our everyday world. I think one of the best books I ever read on that topic is written by two authors named Gordon Fee and somebody Stewart, Fee and Stewart, how to... How to how to study the Bible for all it's worth, or how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Fantastic book, really helping you just learn how to, how to approach the Bible well and, and, and reading it and understanding it. Can you imagine if, if you got a letter, I don't think any of us would do this, let's say a, a good friend of yours or a family member wrote you a six-page letter, and so you took the letter and you turned to page three and you grabbed a sentence or two on page three and you read those alone disregarding the rest of the letter. Well, it's very likely that you may not really get the point of those two sentences because you didn't read the rest of the letter. Those two sentences make sense as you understand what comes before them, what comes after them. That's pretty common sense, isn't it? We do that when we read letters. You buy a book and buy, get a novel and... and uh, um, you don't, if it's got 500 pages, you don't turn to page, well, I'll start on page 250, and, and um, I'm going to look right here in the middle and pull out a couple of sentences and read that, and, and you're clear on what that means. You may think you are, but, but that's just totally taking that out of the larger context of that book. But we don't do this with letters, we don't do this with books, but it seems as though we do this too often with the Bible, and I think perhaps we've done that with this passage and the next one, We've just kind of pulled them out of their context. And, and it's understandable why we do that with the Bible. 
instead of with other books because the Bible has so many various divisions. We've got the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. We have 39 books. We have 27 books. We have chapters. We have verses. And so because we have all those divi- verses and chapters and books, it's easy to grab just a couple of those verses and take a peek at those and disregard the rest. But that could lead to, to wrong conclusions, which I think perhaps it has. And I believe we've done that with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 through 35, where it says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Well, that's pretty clear. Why do we even need to have a class on this tonight? It's pretty obvious what it says. How does it go? It says what it means, and it means what it says. Um, Let's move on to the next verse. What if we were to apply that same method of interpretation to other verses in the Bible where we just looked at a particular verse and we just took it for what it says? Just, Sorry? Well, for example, all you need to do to be saved is just believe. Disregard the rest of the New Testament context. That's what it says. For example, this is the Word of God. Plain and simple. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. It's a command from God. Go marry a prostitute and have children with her. What it says, and we're back to the Bible people. Now, what are we going to do? Or here's one. This, this is very fitting for Colorado culture. Leviticus 19.28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Period. What more needs to be said? Raise your hand if you have a tattoo. <laughs> Let's see it. <laughs> oh, show, show just raised his hand. You do, don't you? Um, Psalm 14.1. This is the word of God. I'm quoting scripture. That's all I'm doing because I'm a church of Christ preacher. Psalm 14, 1, there is no God. Right in the middle of the Bible, atheist has his argument. There is no God. That's what the Bible says. It's right there. I'm not making that up. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 16. This morning I was on my walk praying and God gave me this verse for you, Mike. Straight from scripture. Habakkuk Habakkuk 2 16 drink and let your nakedness be exposed <laughs> it's what the Bible says are, are you so streaking are, are, what are you going to do what are you going to do huh Drink, well, yeah, I guess we're reading, we're, uh, yeah command inf- necessary inference with it be drunkenness would be there Here's another one in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world. That's what it says in the Bible. For God did not send his son into the world. That's just scripture. All this time we thought. How can you be saved? Well, uh, you're talking about you must believe. We've basically grown up with the five steps. And they've been recently criticized. I'm not sure why because they're all very biblical. Biblical. Um, but there aren't five steps. There's six steps. The sixth step 
is in 1 Timothy 2.15. Women will be saved. My stars. Women will be saved through childbearing. You don't have children, you're not saved. I mean, that's just what it says. Are you going to accept the word of God or are you going to not accept it? Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Do you hate your parents? If you don't. Do you hate your children? If you don't, you can't be a disciple. How much clearer can it be? That's scripture. I did not come, Jesus says in Matthew 10, to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. Okay, that's scripture. It is a disgrace. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 11. We read this recently. It's a disgrace for a woman. It's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut. See a lot of short-haired women here. It, it can be. But what, what are we going to do about this? It's a disgrace for you to cut your hair. It just says it. I saw Keith walking in here tonight with a hat. Keith, are you not aware a man ought not to cover his head? What's that? Jordan? Jordan's got, oh, we got a baseball cap back here, Drew. Huh? We do that, don't we? We take the word of God and we recreate more rules because they don't accommodate what we are. Look at this rebellion right here in the assembly. So listen, every single one of those verses that I just read to you, we say, no, 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 wait a minute. It doesn't really mean that. Okay, it says that. But we know it doesn't mean that, Eddie, because you have to, you got to look at the larger context. You have to understand the culture in Ephesus when Paul said that to Timothy. Or the culture in the, in the, in the hist- historical context of Israel when he spoke to Hosea um, or what Jesus really meant. Well, this was, he was speaking in hyper. You have to understand that. For example, in 1 Timothy 2, we do this. We're very inconsistent. Could we be very inconsistent? I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. It just says that. Very few of us do that. Everywhere. We're just disobeying scripture. And... I want women to dress not with gold or pearls or expensive clothes. So no jewelry, no expensive clothes. And we go, no, 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 no. You've you got to understand what that means. You've got to understand the context. You've got to understand the culture in Ephesus. Okay, well, let's talk about that. But then just a few little verses later, he goes on to say, I do not permit a woman to teach. She must be quiet. That's just what it means. How come those Two that are four or five verses earlier. We said, no, no, you got to understand the context. But these, we just, that's what it says. And so, we go to 1 Corinthians 14. And we don't apply these principles 
of understanding interpretation, which we apply to all these other verses, but here in this one, a woman should remain silent in the churches, period. They're not allowed to speak. Go marry a prostitute and have children with her. So, we're, are we consistent in our interpretation of Scripture? Could it be that we are using bad hermeneutics? That's the fancy word. Um, so what I want to do with this passage that has troubled us for so long, not that and I have the answer, but <laughs> it sounded like it first. I want us to, to, to not isolate it and look at it by itself. Yes, sir. So we're, we, we, we seem to be rather inconsistent. So what is the historical context? I, th- I think that speaks a lot into this passage. And I think it helps us understand what in the world he's talking about. Okay? So sometimes in, 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 in the context of letter, you, you know, you have, on, you have those... Um, Google Maps or whatever map you got. It's got the little plus and minus. And you, you, you go in and you look at it and you're kind of lost. And then you come out and you say, ah, oh, now I know where it is because I see the bigger picture here. And so when I, when I, when I pull out of 1 Corinthians 14, um, 34 and 35, and I look at the larger picture of, of 1 Corinthians, honestly, I start going, oh, oh. I think I get it. Do you hear the word think? <laughs> um, so the larger context of 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of issues we've talked about, right? Um, the overarching issue, they, they were, uh, there was discord, disunity. They were not getting along for multiple reasons we don't have time to go in tonight. But when you move into... So he's covering these issues of debate and disunity and discord. And when he gets to chapter 11, verse 2, through chapter 14 and verse 40, he deals with, with the gathering of the Christians when they're together. He gives more attention to that than any other topic. Isn't that painful? That a, a time of, of, of awe and wonder to be directed to God is so divisive and so hurtful and it has to be so corrected um, Worship wars were in this time as well. And so he has been dealing with in their assembly. He's dealt with the Lord's Supper. Although it was all chaotic. There, was, there were messes there. No time to go into that. He was dealing with women praying and prophesying in the assembly without heads that were covered. So he dealt with that. And so now in chapters 12 verses 1 through chapter 14, he opens this topic. As a matter of fact, I think he starts with now about. He's still about their assemblies gathering together. But now he's going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, about the spiritual gifts. They, they were, they had become a problem in the church gatherings. And there were two problems. 
There were two problems. And I promise you, this, this relates to this passage on women. We're just, we've zoomed out. First Corinthians, now we're zooming into 12 through 14. There were two problems. Problem number one, and, and I, I can't go on verse this, verse this, verse this. Just don't have time to because I really would like to cover all this tonight. I don't know if I will. I'm going to do a lot of talking. And if you want to say something, just do what Richard did. Just raise your hand. And, and uh, <clears throat> there, was, there, was a, there was arrogance. There was a lot of spiritual arrogance of I have this gift and you don't you don't have this gift and, and there was the, a condescending spirit um, and that, which is really crazy you see that in charismatic circles today I, I, I was in charismatic movement for about two years trying to find God when I was younger and if you don't have this gift or this gift you're a Christian but you're not as much as you could be or as spiritual as this person and so there's levels of spirituality and arrogance that was associated with that in the church in Corinth and so Paul hammers that and he corrects that and tells them that it's wrong. And, and that's where this beautiful analogy of the, of the human body in 1 Corinthians 12. And he says, we're all important body parts. One is not more important than the other. We're all needed. And there's no, this is nonsense to say, I'm more important than you. Or I'm not needed or you're not needed. And he works on that through all, throughout all of chapter 12. And then he goes into chapter 13, which we're quite familiar with. And he says, you may be able to have this gift, that gift, this gift, and that gift. But if you can't even be nice and kind and loving to one another, if you have this arrogant, condescending spirit, then who cares what kind of supernatural, miraculous ability that you have? You're just a sounding gong. Be loving. So that's chapters 12 and 13. There is an arrogant spirit among the Christians in Corinth. That was the first problem with... The, the assemblies as far as the use of the gifts of the Spirit. But secondly, the second problem that they had, and he deals with this, I believe, I'm safe to say, throughout all of chapter 14. All of chapter 14, his main point that he's working on, he's working on problems. He's not, well, let's talk about this now. No, there are problems he's dealing with. And the problem here is that there was a lot of chaos and disorder in the assemblies, a lot of disorder, a lot of chaos, and primarily it was associated with how they were working and functioning and using these spiritual gifts when they were together. It was just really chaotic. <clears throat> I believe that is crystal clear in chapter 14. The dominating, and this is really important because I think it's going to speak into the women's role thing. The dominating problem that he is addressing was disorder and chaos and, and, and the assembly. As a matter of fact, as he wraps up this discussion... And he moves on in chapter 15. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I he's moving on to another topic now. As he ends this topic in chapter 14, he closes with, but, this is kind of like a wrap-up, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Leading you to believe, if you back up and read the rest of the chapter, that things in the church in Corinth weren't being done in a fitting and orderly way. Bob, you kind of waved a finger at me. Verse 33. There was a there was disorder and chaos in the assemblies, and it should be an orderly assembly because God is a God of order. That's that's his that's his basis, which is interesting in my experience when the charismatic churches, the more disorder, the more chaos, the more spontaneity, the less order, the more the Holy Spirit is evidently at work. Where is he saying, Well, 
Maybe that's not necessarily the case. Um, so, um, I, I, so the question is now, how was there chaos and disorder in their assemblies? Okay? We're getting there. We're, we're coming in. We're zooming in. Zooming in. Is that the right? Yeah, we're zooming in. First of all, there was chaos and disorder in their use of speaking in tongues. And um, that was because there was no interpretation. We see this in verse, uh, I, I said I wasn't going to read too much of this because I want to stick to our main passage, but let's see. For, the reason, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue, verse 13, should pray that they may interpret what they say. And he goes on to say, if, if, if you speak in a tongue, which is a foreign language, not a lot of time, I'd love to teach you on this because I did a lot of study on it as I was trying to find where God wanted me to be. But um, he says, he says you, got, you got these people speaking in tongues and nobody knows what's being said. And you got a visitor that comes around and he says in verse, what is it, 23? So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And so there was this chaos and disorder in the assembly because they were speaking in tongues, but they weren't interpreting it. So what's the point of that, he's saying? That's disorderly. That's, that's not achieving the purpose of the assembly. Some will disagree with me on that. But he's correcting it right here. Um, and then secondly, there was chaos and disorder because many people were speaking in tongues at the same time. So... Um, in verse 26, he says, he says um, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so the church may be built up. That's our goal, so the church may be built up. The way you're doing it is not building the church up. It's dividing the church. It's hurting the church. In verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most at the most three, should speak one at a time. So that tells you, why is he making that corrective? Simply because there's just a whole bunch of people were doing it. There wasn't interpretation. They weren't getting it. It was just kind of crazy. He says, that's not the way church is supposed to be. There was chaos and disorder in their speaking of tongues. That's pretty clear, okay? At least to me. Okay, I'm looking up because I told you anytime you want to raise your hands. So then, then you move on. He moves on. He talks about this chaos and disorder in speaking tongues. Then he moves on to this chaos and disorder that was associated with prophecy. We spent almost, no, not almost a whole night on prophecy. And so what was wrong with their prophesying? In verse 29, he says, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For all of you can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And so there were a bunch of people speaking in tongues. Nobody knew what in the world they were saying. They were all doing it at the same time. And simultaneously there were people speaking in the known language, the native tongue, prophesying. But there were a whole bunch of people. Like, like right now I'm talking. Richard stands up and he starts talking. Joe stands up and he starts talking. Carrie stands up and she starts talking. And it's like, that's just nuts. That's, that's, that shouldn't happen. Um... And he makes his appeal. He said, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. This is disorderly. This is not reflective of God and what he desires. Um, <clears throat> and so, 
he says with these use of these gifts, he says in verse 5 that their, 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 their purpose of these gifts is that the church may be edified. And really the Greek pronunciation of that word is edified is what that really means. Um, verse 12, for the building up of the church. Verse 26, so that everything must be done so the church may be built up. That's the goal. They were not achieving that goal because of the craziness in their assembly. And so he says in verse 13, if somebody's going to speak in tongues, you need an interpreter. If anyone's going to speak in tongues, two or three at the most, one at a time. If there's not an interpreter, now look at this in verse 28. This is really important. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. Okay, that word keep quiet is, is a Greek word, sigao. We're going to see it when he speaks to the women and what they were doing. Exact same word. You tongue speakers doing what you're doing, keep quiet. He's going to say that to the women in just a minute, okay? So same, exact same word right in the, in the small context here, okay? Um, he's not telling these tongue speakers a total ban on speaking in the assembly. He's telling them to keep quiet under what circumstance? Disorder. No interpreter are doing it at the same time. He's not saying, never speak. You're forbidden to speak, tongue speakers. But that's kind of weird. You're given the gift of tongues, but you're not allowed to speak. <laughs> no, they're not allowed to speak if they're doing it in a way that's not appropriate. That's how he says. So that's the context, okay? And then, um, then also with the um, prophets and the prophecies. I'll read this again. Two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh what carefully it was said. And if a revelation comes to someone, so I'm talking, and if a revelation comes to, to Don, and he has something to say, and he stands up, I need to sit down and stop speaking. It says here, this first speaker should stomp. If you have a King James Version, it says, should keep his peace. Or you could literally translate that should be silent. Sigao, exact same word, that's going to be used to the women in just a minute. He's not saying, if you have the gift of prophecy, don't you ever speak a word in the assembly. He's saying, it's not a complete ban on speaking. It's a silence in the context. If you're a prophet and you're using your gift of prophecy in a manner that's disorderly, it's not edifying and building up the church, be quiet. Just be quiet. Silence. Um, <clears throat> Why? Why? Because God is a God, not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Evidently, this is a big deal. This is not just corn. This is, this is, this is all the churches. This is really order and peace in the assembly. It's just huge to God. So in that context, in that flow of thought, he then moves on to the women. And, and what was the problem? It, immediately, you can't miss this. As soon as he said, it's not supposed to be disorderly because God is not a God of disorder. As soon as he says that, in that context, he moves straight into the discussion of women. So it's hard for me not to see disorder as not part of this context, okay? When I look at it in the larger context. Verse 34, so tongue speakers... Be silent if it's disorderly. Prophets, be silent if it's disorderly. Women, verse 34, let's talk about you now, he says, should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. 
If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So what? We know what the tongue speakers were doing wrong. We know what the prophets were doing wrong. What was the mistake of these women, Jeff? That's interesting. You have an interesting uh, Bible app. Um, we got all three of those pulled up. <clears throat> so we know what the tongue speakers are doing wrong, and that's why they need to be silent. We know what the prophets were doing wrong and why they were told to be silent. What do we know that the women were doing evidently in the assembly that was wrong that caused him to say, that needs to stop, you need to be quiet. Uh, yes, Don, sorry, hang on, Don had his hand up, Ginger, thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, what are we talking about there? What is that law? Okay, so where in the old law does it say that? Okay, go ahead. He didn't, but, it, but I'll make you a pain. I, I struggle. I, I, I don't agree with the comments you made. I struggle to see that as the law that Paul is referring to. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure what law he's referring to. Uh, Scott and then Kay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I keep forgetting you. Thank you for reminding me. Um, so um, Jeff and Gary did a very good job of, of going back to Genesis 3.16 and, and after the fall of Adam and Eve saying to Eve, okay, hey, look, you know, this is what you did. And as a result of that, um, man, is gonna, there's going to be some expression of male authority over you. That's just the way it's going to be. Is that the law that Paul's referring back to? <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not sure where it is. I'm not sure. I know that there's that divine order we saw in 1 Corinthians 11. But I, I'm not sure what he's talking about. I'm not sure anybody is sure um, from all that I've read. Yes, Kay, and then Pam. Uh, that verse refers back to verse 21 where he says, In the law it is written. And that one refers to Deuteronomy 28, 49. Okay. Which says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth. As swift as the eagle swoops down to attack a nation whose language you will not understand. Okay, so that clearly tells us women should remain silent. No, it doesn't. <laughs> That's interesting. They're just, see, they're, they're reaching. They're looking. We don't know what he's, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not sure anybody clearly does, but we don't have to understand it. There's a truth here, and not knowing what he's talking about doesn't minimize that truth. Pam, I think you were waving your...
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is Okay. So this is talking about foreign tongues and tongue speaking. Okay, so I got Keith and I got Alan. totally agree but the question is as the law says what what does he mean by that and I I don't know I had a a professor in college and said Eddie if you don't know the answer to the question don't feel like you need to answer it you'll just make a fool of yourself by trying and (laughs) and then secondly he says don't feel like you have to answer questions the Bible doesn't answer because the Bible doesn't give all the answers it's okay to say I just don't know he said he gave me freedom to say that Alan I'm just wondering, I, go, I can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I've got to do a better job of this. Deuteronomy 28:49 and Isaiah, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. <clears throat> but, but, but as we talked about that, they sure seem to be not really uniquely spoken about because the Bible says in the Old Testament women aren't supposed to speak. It's just you got this peace and this this foreign languages context. Yeah. So so what 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 were women doing wrong? What was wrong? We know what the tongue speakers were doing wrong. He says, stop that, be quiet. We know what prophets were doing wrong. He says, stop that and be quiet. What were the women doing wrong? They were asking questions. He he's very specific about that. In the middle of the service, so you've got, you've got tongue speakers, multiple tongue speakers speaking. Nobody knows what they're saying. You've got this guy standing up prophesying, this guy standing up prophesying, this woman standing up prophesying. And you've got this wife or this woman asking this husband or this man, what in the world is that talking about? And I don't understand that. Now, historically speaking, there's, there's a little bit of historical perspective that might help this that mostly regards the seeding of the first century church. These Christians, and we know this, we're going to go to Ephesus and we'll go to 1 Timothy 2, and we're in 1 Corinthians here. In Corinth and in Ephesus, they started out in the synagogue, and then they pretty much had to leave or got kicked out of the synagogue, and they started meeting in homes, or they met, and I think it was in, in, was it in Ephesus in the hall of Tyrannus? They met in a hall, a public hall. And so, but in the synagogue, the men and women didn't sit together. If there were something like balconies, that's where the women would sit, the men would sit here. There was a separation. There's not clarity on that, but there was, there's clarity they didn't sit together. Women over here, men over here, women back there, men up here, women up there. And so you can't help but wonder, did they bring that synagogue custom of seating arrangement? You would guess that they would have into wherever they were meeting. And therefore, it's not like 
It's not like um, Katie leaning over to Jeff on Sunday. What is Eddie trying to say? It wasn't that. It would be if Jeff is seated right here and Katie's seated back there and she's asking, that's, that's disorderly. That's disruptive. How in the world are we going to have church like that? Um, that's one historical setting uh, uh, consideration. Another historical consideration is then you got, so they've got these Jews, that's the way they do church. Then you got these Gentile converts from these pagan temples that were converted to Christianity. And these pagan temples, especially in both of these cities, you got all these female priestesses that are in charge. They're sexually involved with the men. They're the woman that when they cut their hair real short, they were speaking. They were very actively involved. It was a female goddess that ruled the city. And then they walk into the church. And so they're used to women having a really strong role. And in the, in the Jewish assembly, uh, there was quite different churches. They were bringing their church baggage. In. And then there's another aspect that in the Greco-Roman world, it was permitted, it was encouraged to ask questions for the sake of learning. And, and you study Plato, Socrates, and, and Aristotle, and you will see that um, they weren't just encouraged to ask questions. It wasn't impolite to interrupt a speaker. And so, all of that historical baggage brought into the church, and in some way, the women were being disorderly through asking questions but it was more than that it was more than that because he goes on to say they're not allowed to speak not simply because they're asking questions but must be in submission and then he goes on to say for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church and so you know he said he said that earlier in first corinthians chapter 11 the problem wasn't that they were speaking, but they were speaking in a manner that was inappropriate and disgraceful because they were disregarding their submissive role to others that were present in the assembly. And so in this questions and chaos, if I'm a teacher of a class and I've got kids acting like that, I take that personally. I take that as a, as a slap in the face to my role as a teacher and the authority that I have. And so there was a disregard for that in the church, evidently. Not just that they were asking questions, but it was, it was a lack of submission to, to, to the church and to the authority that was established. And he says that's just outright disgraceful. Yes, ma'am. Had they become argumentative? Uh, highly likely I'm trying to think if there's one that, highly likely um, so, so so a couple of comments here the, the same word that was used for silence with the tongue speakers and for the prophets is the word that was used for women all in the same context with the tongue speakers and the prophets, it wasn't a ban on speaking. It was a be quiet if you're going to be disorderly and disruptive in this way. Why do we change that understanding of that word and change that context when it follows it? Secondly, this passage on women is sandwiched. Sandwiched 
with this or disorderly context. It says in verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Then he talks about the women, and then he ends it with everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In the middle of those two verses is this discussion of women leading me to believe the problem wasn't women were speaking, but it was how they were speaking in a manner that was disorderly and disruptive. In 1 Corinthians 11, it wasn't that they were speaking. They were encouraged to pray and prophesy, but they were doing that in a way that disregarded and disrespected this divine order of authority God has established. Here, it was not submissive and respectful because it was disruptive and chaotic. Um, do you understand that? Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, Larry. This problem is all the way through the book. In the first chapter, he says, let there be no divisions among you. Okay, there you go, quarrels. So, they, yeah, so, so somebody from the house of Chloe, probably the deliverer of their letter, said, and there's, I, got, I can tell you even more, the tattletale from the house of Chloe, yeah. Church was a mess. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the dominating theme in First Corinthians, Bob. They were. Oh yes. They were most certainly. There was arrogance. There was pride. Um. So, Mike. Most historians will say you're accurate in saying that the Jewish style was more calm and peaceful order of worship and the Gentile pagan worship was more chaotic. And you convert both of those and you bring them together. And you've got disunity and problems. Um, so let's just say it is silence. It's not just dear sore. Women are not to speak in the assembly. Are we consistent with that? Um, we have women in this church asking questions during the assembly. Don't we? That happens. Do you ever see a woman correcting a child out loud, speaking to them in the church? Man, my mom used to do that with me. Um, I don't care what happened. I did something wrong. She'd get up. She'd grab me, and she would, she would say something hard to me, and we'd, she'd carry me out. And I'd be screaming, no, mama, no, mama, no, mama, no, mama. I remember saying that so many times. Um, we don't do it anymore. We have a meet and greet. We used to. We allowed women to speak during that, didn't we? I thought they are supposed to be silent. That's in the assembly in this room. Um, women are allowed to sing theology that teaches and prays. Sorry? Yeah. Um, we have a collective reading in unison. Women are allowed that. That's not silence. Why do we allow that? Because it's not disorderly. That's the, that's the spirit of this chapter. Yes? And they 
They sing songs. Um, so my point is I don't believe 1 Corinthians 14, this passage, is a ban on women speaking. I believe it's a corrective to women who were in this situation being disorderly. Be quiet. For example, for example, let's see, I have it here. Um, oh, I, I want to wrap this up, this chapter, but I'll, I'll go ahead and share with you this example. Let's say I'm preaching. That shouldn't be hard to imagine. And um, <clears throat> while I'm preaching, there are children that are speaking in the church. And I say these words to those children. You children are disorderly. You kids need to be quiet. You need to be silent. It is rude to be talking in church. It's a disgrace for children to be speaking in church. I'm telling you, be quiet. But they still should be quiet. So, now, what I just said, was I making a theological ban on kids speaking in the assembly? No. I was making a correction on a problem. When that's happening, you need to be quiet. Was I saying, you kids can never get up here and read, you can never pray, you can never help lead a devotional thought? No, that's not the point. The point was correcting a problem, but say a thousand years from now, someone gets a recording of that sermon, and all they look at in that sermon is, kids in the church need to be quiet, be silent, it's rude to talk in church. And they conclude, oh, the church at Eastside in 2021 didn't let kids, kids speak. And he said it right there. Well, you got to listen to the whole context. He was correcting a problem. Is that not what was going on in the church in Corinth? Alan? It's like he's contradicting himself. Women and men use these gifts that are verbal gifts. Women don't talk. If you're being disorderly and chaotic, which is a lack of submission. Scott? Uh, great. What is, what is he referring to? That, that, that's the magic question. I don't have the answer. I don't know what he's talking about as the law says. But is the law about women or is the law about chaos and disorder in the assembly? Okay, yeah. So, so I could reach a conclusion from that that though I, I read Genesis to, Ex, Genesis to Exodus or even to Malachi, you can't miss the authority and submission principle there of men and women. Maybe it's not a law in Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 14, but you see that there. So perhaps that's what he means. Um, so yes, that's not saying women shouldn't speak, but he's saying this, this disorder of your asking questions, that's disrespectful to the authority 
of the leadership of the church. Just like a, a teacher, it would be to me as a teacher. So I, so I think that submission to authority, I think that applies here, but I don't think it silences women. I think it silences them in the sense of when they're being disorderly in the way they were behaving here. Did that make sense? <laughs> Maybe not. That's okay. Um, so so let, let's finish this, verses 36 through 38. Look at, the, look, look, look at his sarcasm. I used to think it was wrong for me to be sarcastic. But I've got biblical uh, uh, guidelines here. He said, or did the word of God originate with you? I mean, that is, of course it didn't. But it's like they think it did. This is the arrogance. Or you, the only people it has reached. So Paul is claiming he has apostolic authority here. So you think you've got this all figured out and you're in control of this? He says... If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. That rules out this heresy. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He's speaking of the Lord's command. Um, um, but if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. He's uptight. He's uptight here. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. There it is, Alan. Brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Um, that's the context, I believe. Diane? Why is there a difference? We let women do so many things, but, but, but we stop when it comes to communion for the most part. There's been a few subtle times. Why? Because there's a deep feeling in many that that crosses a line. Biblically, you can't claim that, but there's a deep feeling because rightfully so, We've taken the Lord's Supper and we've made it to be what it should be, a very sacred thing. And it is. And for some reason, and it's, it's, so, it's so unusual. For some reason, though, a woman to pray during that, that crosses the line for so many. There's not, I, I cannot say, the Bible says it right here, <clears throat> don't do that. <clears throat> I can't say that. Uh, I think it's like the church in Littleton. Uh, they will have a woman participate in some verbal way of the Lord's Supper, but I think there's something that we do here. Maybe we have women pray or something they won't do there. Different churches have different cultures that they just, this is crossing the line. And so <clears throat> there's no biblical answer to that. It's more of a traditional feeling about that that I think flows from how we view the sacredness of the Lord's Supper. That would be my guess at that. Richard? <coughs> yeah. 
You know, well, just like with who can baptize, who can, you know, and then the Catholic Church, only certain priests can serve. We have no, you know, if we're really going to go back to Scripture, we have no biblical, this is exactly the way it should be. But in church history, it evolved into um, women do this, men do this. Things evolved. And so that's why we go back to Scripture, because we evolve into these many different things. Um, now, let me say, Saying all this about women speaking in the assembly, this is not saying, therefore, women should be elders in the church or whatever. That's not the point of this. The point is about <clears throat> the speaking. So, um, a couple of summary conclusions. I don't know if that clock is right. Okay, 7.30. 1 Corinthians 11, women are allowed to speak and pray in the presence of men. But if they do, they should do so in a humble manner that regards their relationship to men not usurping authority over men in the divine order God's established. I think that's 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 14, the instruction to not speak is telling the women not to speak in a manner that is disorderly and chaotic and thus disregards the greater good for the church. I think that, I, I believe that's what it's saying here. So it's not, we have taken that passage, we've pulled it out by itself and we've restricted mouths of women to open in certain ways. In other ways, we're not consistent with that. When you look at that context, I think if the men were doing this in the church in Corinth, they would have been told to be silent. It just so happened to be the women, likely because they didn't have, sadly, the level of education in that culture that the men did. So they asked more questions. Um, so, Mike, you don't have to get drunk and go streaking after all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Todd, you don't have to go marry a prostitute and have children with a prostitute. You weren't in the class when I talked about that. Maybe Georgia wasn't. Eddie, what's he talking about now? Um, therefore, I don't believe women never open your mouths, silence, not at all. No, I believe in the context of showing disregard for the authority and the unsubmissive spirit, the, the disorder of their questions and chaos. And I think that could be in any way. Um, Yeah, that's next. So 1 Timothy 2 will be our next passage. Um, now, so let's practice good hermeneutics, good biblical interpretation. Let's do our homework and read all of 1 Timothy, not 1 Timothy 2, those two or three verses. What's going on there? You'll see there's a clear problem in that church in Ephesus to where Timothy was serving and he talks about some problematic issues later in the letter about women and I think they relate to what's going on read that look at the larger context that's your homework now here's our challenge <clears throat> this time next Wednesday I'm going to be holding Madeline <laughs> I'm doing an early Christmas we're not sure Who's going to be doing the class? If somebody wants to do the class, uh, Alan Thomas oversees Wednesday nights. But the problem is Alan is not able to be here right now Wednesday nights. Alan suggested that we get someone to... John Mark Hicks is a very well-known Church of Christ, Lipscomb theologian, teacher. And he's done a lot of work on this topic. He has a 30-minute video of teaching on it. We need somebody who will turn that on, play it intro play it and then have discussion afterwards um so we're going to have something like that next wednesday be watching caramel and then the final two wednesdays in december 
we will not be doing that, and we will not be having class. Um, so the first two Wednesdays in January, maybe the third, we're going we're gonna to dig into First Timothy and maybe dig into a larger context of this egalitarian, complementarian. It just depends on if I feel like you guys are tired of this and I, I need to leave you alone with it. I don't know. We may do that. But at least First Timothy 2. But that won't be to January. So you get between now and 1st of January to do that. Next week we will have a class in here. Not unless nobody volunteers. But, so be watching care mail. Okay? Let me pray. <clears throat> Father... What's really, really awesome is it's not that we all leave, aren't we so excited that we understand women's role better? But the truth is, talking about and chewing and meditating over your word and your truths, it's nourishing. It's, it builds us up regardless of the topic. And so take these words and, and use them to strengthen us and deepen us in our relationship with you and to make our faith stronger that we can truly uh, live it out and take this in uh, what we've looked at tonight, may our church honor you and follow and reflect your character of peace and order in the way that we live our lives in our individual lives, our families, and our church as we've seen tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.